your native part of America uh, had uh, had had a shortage of water, and then I think that we all know about the far west of, of the United States and the, the fire. Yes, the, and the, uh, the, uh, the, there is increasing drought in the southwest part of the of the country, which is actually expected to uh, spread further. And we'll talk a little bit about that when we talk about the winter outlook. And uh, New England has had, uh, I guess, record low uh, uh, um, rainfall and, and stream flow up there. Uh, hopefully they will recover some of that during this winter, which is supposed to be a little bit wetter for them up there. So um, so uh, we'll be talking about that. But, you know, getting back to, uh, to North Carolina here, uh, although uh, October is, is a, a very nice time of the year most of the time, and one of the driest months actually for us usually, it's also uh, a time of year where you can get some major storms going on. And uh, there's interaction that goes on between the tropics and the, uh, and the mid-latitudes that uh, can really uh, pose a danger as far as storm formation uh, off our coast. And, of course, one of those uh, is, is uh, uh, the, the infamous Hurricane Hazel that uh, we're in our, what is it, the 66th anniversary, I guess, for Hurricane Hazel, which struck on October 15th, 1954. So uh, you, I know, Tom, you, you talked about that in your, in your youth, talking about going to school in, in Hurricane Hazel or getting out of school in Hurricane Hazel, and this was the day. Right. Uh, they didn't, of course, they didn't have the satellites and other things, and one of the famous parts of that story, I think, is that a meteorologist for the National Weather Service, a gentleman who ultimately had a stroke while he was tracking Hazel and died, and they kind of almost lost it for a while there. He was, he was on it, but it uh, took them a while to catch up with it. And, and they, whatever information they got came from ships and uh, uh, that may, may have been out, out to sea. But in, in any event, we just didn't know very much about it. And, and, I, and the truth is, uh, it became uh, a real thing to me when the uh, local radio station in Goldsboro uh, put out the word about 10 o'clock on that day. You see, we went to school, you see. That's the important thing on that day. That's how little they knew about it. Uh, right. uh, and uh, said, come get your young ones, is basically what they said. <laughs> and we yeah. had about three hours. It had come through Goldsboro, and I think it was clocked in Kinston, which is about 25 miles closer to the coast, at about 125 miles per hour, the wind. Uh, right. And the other thing that, that is unusual, I, I'm stealing your thunder here, but you, I know you know this, is for a, a it was the only Category 4 uh, hurricane that's ever hit the coast, and it just about North leveled Carolina. the coast. Uh, of North Carolina, exactly. And But it was moving at about 50 miles an hour straight ahead. Uh, exactly. And, 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 and that's, what the, that's what I mentioned about the interaction between the, the tropics and the mid-latitudes, because we begin to see... The, uh, the jet stream, the polar jet stream, began to sweep, sweep down across the North American continent. And we've seen a couple of those instances already uh, in, the, in recent weeks now, and that's what's introduced us to the cooler air. You get these, uh, these jet stream winds, and if we're on the upswing part of it, the, the tropical storm, if it's in the correct position over the, over the Caribbean, can be caught by those winds and move within the jet stream or just outside of the jet stream very fast. And so Hazel, as you said, accelerated to 50 miles an hour and possibly even 
faster as it kept on going northward and, and was causing damage all the way up into Ontario, Canada. Uh, it was just uh, an amazing storm because of, of its longevity, its strength, and, and, it, uh, and the fact is that, that 50 miles an hour as it came into North Carolina added to the wind speed on the east side of the storm as it went by, and that's what helped uh, cause all the wind damage you know, in excess of 100 miles an hour uh, in Goldsboro and uh, Rocky Mount and, and all the areas uh, in eastern North Carolina. So it was a very devastating hurricane. That on top of the fact that uh, Hazel was actually the, the third hurricane to, to either hit North Carolina or come very close to the coast of North Carolina during 1954. And then we had another three hurricanes make direct hit on North Carolina in 1955. So, you know, that 54-55 period was uh, extremely busy for, for North Carolina, and I'm sure... Uh, I'm sure North Carolinians that can still remember that were probably uh, shocked by the number of hurricanes that hit the state. There was, you know, six, five to six hurricanes hitting North Carolina in a two-year period. It had been relatively quiet before that. We need to take a break, and we can come back and, and talk about this, too. I was going to say, I think Delta, the recent storm that hit Louisiana, caught right. it in the edge of the Gulf Stream, and uh, that's what zipped it back across the country and kind of blew it apart, I, you know, uh, yep. after it had, it had made landfall. It, it didn't hang together as long. But I remember seeing a, a graphic of the, the Gulf Stream. I'm not the Gulf Stream. The, what am I trying to say? The jet stream. The Gulf of Mexico. Well, the jet, the jet had, stream had dipped down and was sucking it up, you know, as it right. curved back to the north across the eastern part of the United States. I know I'm practicing right. meteorology without a license here, so I've got to quit. Rod Gunn, you can tell he's fired up, but he has fun, and I do too, when we talk about the weather, but there's a lot of good information, and uh, this, of course, is the 66th anniversary of what is the benchmark hurricane for eastern North Carolina. If if you went through it like I did, I was 10 years old and didn't quite always know what was happening, uh, I could have gone the rest of my life without another hurricane after that, and it would have been just fine. I know there are a lot of <laughs> Other Eastern North Carolinians who feel the same way. More about uh, about Hazel and what it was all about, and about the weather. And there's going to be room for a look at the prediction for what our winter is going to be like during the second half of the program tonight. So stay tuned to WPTF. We'll be back. I'm turning to turning to WPTF. Rod Gonski, our our personal meteorologist here. That's, of course, not true, but he's nice enough to come and visit us and share his wisdom with us. <laughs> your, your personal weather assistant, is that weather, right? Well, no, you're our, you're our weather guy. And, uh, <laughs> being a, guy, a weather guy is the highest ranking you could have. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, but in any event, uh, 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 Rod and I were talking before the program, and this is, there's a lot of weather information, and he's already shared a little bit of it with us concerning the nice weather we're going to have for a little while, and, and we've yeah. begun our celebration of, of the anniversary of Hazel coming to visit us. And you're in charge tonight, Rod, Rod and say what you want to as long as you want to well, about Hazel. Getting, getting back to the anniversary for Hurricane Hazel, October 15, 1954, uh, you know, Jay Barnes writes uh, the, the North Carolina uh, Hurricane History Book, and he devotes 25 pages of, of that book just to Hurricane Hazel, which is, uh, so it's pretty extensive. So those people that 
who knows, maybe new to the area or just have never looked into the history of hurricanes in North Carolina. It's an excellent resource and uh, really gives you a lot of context for uh, the devastation that actually could visit North Carolina again, and hopefully not any time soon. But I think people should be aware of the uh, of the potential of weather to cause uh, hazards uh, in North Carolina, and it does make a, a very good book because it's uh, it, it extends the history of, of hurricanes all the way back to uh, well uh, <laughs> to uh, probably uh, the colonial era. I just can't I can't remember. I think exactly it goes back almost as far as I think Columbus might have been, but I could have witnessed it and so on. Could be, could be. So, anyways, Jay Barnes writes a good, good uh, a good history. And, and again, I, I want to stress that this time of year, uh, you can have interaction between uh, mid-latitude uh, jet streams and and the tropics uh, to bring storms up very quickly, and that can happen uh, very, very quickly. Uh, you know, we, we when I look back at the, the history in just the last two or three decades, uh, things that stand out. Uh, are the perfect storm in 1991, which occurred in late October of 1991. And the perfect storm, of course, is books and movies that have been written about that. That involved the Hurricane Grace and, and, the, uh, and a, uh, a weather system to the north uh, that produced 100-foot waves in, in, uh, in the Atlantic. Uh, so it's another good read for people who want to see the, you know, the potential destruction of, uh, of storms this time of year. And, of course, there's Superstorm Sandy okay, good. That's uh, that, that occurred uh, in late October, early November of, of 2012, just eight years ago. And, and most people, I'm sure, have heard about the destruction that it caused in New Jersey and in New York and that area. And that, was, that was, really wasn't a powerful hurricane, but the fact is that the, the storm lined up in such a way that it pushed a lot of water into Long Island Sound and into... Uh, the Manhattan area uh, in New York and that area. And, and, and the, you know, the storm surge was just tremendous with that storm. And, and of course, it, it, it led to a lot of inundation in and around heavily developed New York City. So, uh, you know, this time of year, those things can happen. And then even down in the Caribbean, I mean, uh, back in 1998, we had Hurricane Mitch. And uh, there's been a lot written about Hurricane Mitch. Uh, it caused 9,000 fatalities in Central America. Uh, rainfall that was estimated to be as high as 75 inches. Uh, so this time of year, you know, late October, early November, has been the uh, a period of time that there's been some uh, very, very destructive storms. And we, we hope that should not happen anytime soon again. But uh, hopefully we'll get through these few weeks without having to have uh, any any kind of storm systems like that hitting the coast. Now, there, uh, that said, uh, I, I was analyzing just today a couple of, of areas, uh, one down in the Central Caribbean, uh, that may uh, may start producing a, 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 at least a weak tropical storm uh, by this time next week. So about mid-next week, you may be hearing something about a, a tropical storm uh, south of Jamaica. And so we'll be watching that. Uh, we're also watching an area southeast of Bermuda that, uh, that may generate a tropical storm or subtropical storm. And uh, we'll have to be looking at that as well. So the hurricane season is not over. Uh, hurricane season will continue uh, through November. But, uh, you know, the so-called interaction, like I've mentioned a couple of times, uh, the next few weeks here, late October, early November, uh, we have to watch out for that. 
I, I want to mention a couple of stats uh, uh, and give WPTF a little credit, if I may. Uh, uh, gentlemen, my first radio hero was a man named Carl Kurtz, who worked for WPTF, and he had a lot of contacts, and he was able to get someone who was a, an industrial magnate to loan him his airplane. So he went down and flew over the devastation created by Hazel, and he they have come up with this statistic that on Long Beach, which is one of the Brunswick beaches, uh, and that was the that was the hardest hit part of the coast. And there were 357 beach houses, and all but five of them were completely destroyed by the hurricane. Oh. And those the five that were left were 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 uh, damaged. They just weren't completely destroyed. And almost everything on Topsail Island was wiped out. The, the, this the storm was, was the winds were so strong that along with and, and, it, and, it had, and it came in on a high tide, uh, a high lunar tide too. So the water was I'm sorry. Go ahead. Right, your storm surge was uh, 18 feet high. So you know it's almost a, the, the the top of the water was almost two stories. You know it's like the ocean that's coming in two stories above its normal height. So uh, the the force of water can completely uh, destroy anything that's you know land based when that happens. There was a, a w, WRL did a documentary on the 50th anniversary, and they used some of our audio, and so we ought to bow a little bit to them. But there was a couple that had stayed uh, who were on their honeymoon, and when they finally decided to leave, they stuck a mattress right out of the second floor window right onto the water. That's how, how high the water was. And they, they finally got uh, got saved, but uh, it was it just absolutely... And that's on the coast inland. I would say a high percentage of the trees in my hometown of Goldsboro and anywhere along the line that, that came, it followed pretty much the track that Fran did, and that is it came up uh, up uh, like up 40 and then across Smithfield and Goldsboro and, and a little bit further east and, and did a lot of damage in Rocky Mountain. And I think the, the wind velocity at Reagan National Airport, the record is still connected to Hazel. Uh, in probably Washington. is. Yeah. I know our, our rainfall record for the date uh, at RDU is, uh, it was set with hazel and with just over four inches of rain uh, on this day. One of the worst storms to ever come into contact with Toronto, and we're coming up on our half-hour break here, but they had so much rain in Toronto, I think more people were, as many, as many people were killed in Canada as in the United States. Hazel actually had two lives. That's what it did. And once it got to Canada, it just dumped a huge amount of water. And uh, if you talk to people from Toronto, they remember if they're old enough Hazel. We're talking with Rod Gonski, our resident. That's what I wanted to say, meteorologist. We're talking about the anniversary of uh, Hurricane Hazel. We'll be back. On WPTF, you're talking to Tom and with Rod Gonski, our resident meteorologist. We invite Rod to come and visit with us uh, periodically. Uh, Nick Petro is with the National Weather Service, and he comes in between. So we get to talk a lot about the weather, but people need to be concerned about it. And Rod has pointed out that hurricane season, for instance, is not over yet. And, and this, in fact, is the anniversary of the most uh, damaging, I think, hurricane, one of the most damaging, certainly, in the benchmark hurricane for northeastern North Carolina. Hurricane Hazel, which struck uh, in uh, 1950.
54 on this date, and we've talked about that a little bit tonight. Rodney, is it time to take a look at what the weather may be like this winter, and we can come back to the hurricane if we want to? Sure, sure. Well, you know, uh, NOAA came out with their official winter weather outlook across uh, North America, well, across the United States, and uh, and and uh, they, for here in North Carolina, uh, we're expecting uh, temperatures uh, in, from December to uh, through February during the winter season to average a little bit above normal uh, here, the normal averages. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to have cold weather or icy weather or snowy weather or anything like that. All that means is that after that 90-day period, uh, when we add up all the temperatures and divide by 90, it will actually come out uh, a little bit above what the normal number is for that time, you know, for that period of time. So it's, uh, they're expecting warmer temperatures here in North Carolina, but all across the southern United States also. Uh, with the with the warmest uh, the the chances of the warmest weather uh, above normal that is uh, being in the, uh, the area around Texas and New Mexico, uh, the, in other words the, south, the southern central part of the country, uh, and when we look at rainfall, uh, we're closer to the normals here in North Carolina, but just to our south and all the way from the the deeper south all the way out to uh, Southern California. They're expecting uh, dry, very dry weather, and that's unfortunate for because uh, a lot of the southwestern part of the United States right now is in an extreme to exceptional drought, and so they're uh, looking for a continuation of uh, drought conditions out there, and uh, I'm sure with you know potentials for fires uh, like in California, uh, and and uh, you know. Uh, blowing dust and things like that, that'll be a problem out there. But as, as I mentioned, here in North Carolina, although we're expecting somewhat drier than normal conditions, it's not, it doesn't look like it'll be exceptionally dry, at least not during the period that we're talking about from December to, to, uh, to February. So, um, you know, drier than normal. Now, that could also mean, though, if uh, people are going to Florida, uh, they'll probably see more sunny days down there and fewer thunderstorms uh, down in that region. So uh, dry weather across the, the far south. And so, Tom, you may be asking me, well, what's causing all this? <laughs> uh, You've you read my mind. Is it one of those raw or lay things out in the Pacific? That's, that's one of the big factors, yes. Yeah. That's one of the biggest factors, really, is uh, the so-called La Nina, which is the opposite of El Nino. And, and what La Nina means is that the Pacific... The tropical Pacific waters are cooler than average, and that causes a pressure pattern that favors warm, dry conditions across the uh, southern North American continent. And how that happens is that the trade winds in the Pacific, uh, the trade winds are the wind systems, the easterly winds that blow across the tropics. Uh, there's trade winds in the Atlantic, there's trade winds in the Pacific. Well, the ones in the Pacific are uh, stronger than normal. Uh, and what that does is that it blows the surface waters of the Pacific westward much faster than normal. And so it blows the, the, warmest, temp the warmest sea surface temperatures, are, or the warmest water on, in the ocean is right at the top, right, right near the surface. And if it's blowing all that warm water further west, 
a lot of times you get upwelling of the colder water to replace it. And so what that, what that, how that manifests itself is that you have essentially cooler than normal waters across the eastern tropical Pacific. But that sets up a weather pattern, uh, pressure pattern, that favors uh, what we call subsidence, which is sinking air across parts of, uh, of the southern North American continent. And that's what leads to the warmer and drier conditions that, that we're expected to have during the winter uh, season this year. Okay, coming back to the United States, may I speculate that, say we drew a line across the country and maybe maybe we can anchor the, the eastern uh, end of the line somewhere in Virginia, you know, just divide the country pretty much in half. North of that, is it going to be cooler? Well, along the east coast, it may actually be ending up a little bit warmer than well, normal. In other words, uh, from the Carolinas to New England, uh, but as soon as you go west of the Appalachians uh, and you get up into the Midwest and uh, especially up into the northern plains and the, uh, the northern Rockies, they're expected to act cooler uh, than normal weather. And also wetter conditions like wetter weather in the Great Lakes and uh, in Ohio River Valley and wetter weather up in the northern Rockies and northern Great Plains. And, and actually... Uh, not so much for the wetter weather, but the, the cooler weather is already being experienced in the, uh, the northern plains and the northern Rockies. And uh, I, I know I was analyzing the conditions for the upcoming 10 days, and they're, they're already expecting to have uh, a chance of some heavy snow uh, along the eastern slopes of the uh, northern Rockies and all the way across uh, the border region between North Dakota and Minnesota and up into uh, southern Canada. So winter is definitely setting in for that part of the country already, and uh, that's going to be a continued uh, process, uh, these, not only these next couple of weeks, but right through the winter. Okay. I, I, I remember I saw just a half, half of a weather forecast today, and it mentioned exactly what you were talking about as they were, uh, the jet stream was, was dipping down, and it, it isn't an Alberta clipper yet, but it's kind of like that. It's bringing a lot of cold air, and, and Wisconsin, I think, and Minnesota were the states they were talking about really getting some cold weather. And they mentioned, because you and I talked about this last time you were here, the Chinook winds on the eastern slopes of the Rockies uh, has played right. a little bit of a part of this. I, I couldn't figure it out quite quite completely how that would be, so I thought I would ask you, and I may be throwing you a curveball, and if I am, I apologize. Well, I don't know so much as the Chinooks, but there, there are winds actually that are blowing upward, up, up the hill uh, okay. on the eastern slopes of, the, uh, of, of Wyoming and Montana. And when you, when you force air up a hill, you're actually helping to condense moisture out of it. And that's what's responsible for some of the snow up there that's going on uh -huh. or expected okay. to go on very shortly. Okay. Um, now, there... There are, there are very warm and dry winds going on in the west, but those are in northern California right now, what they call the Diablo winds. Right. And, uh, and that results from high pressure that, that settles into the northern uh, Great Basin and forces the air across the Sierra Nevada, and that's what leads to some of these very hot, dry winds. Uh, they call them Diablos in the northern part of California, and uh they're, they're uh, having to, to black out some of their areas because their power lines may fall and cause fires up there. 
So they're having some blackouts that are responsible for that. And, uh, of course, California has got a whole set of problems with, with that. In the southern part of the state uh, they of California, they have the Santa Ana effect, but we haven't seen as much of that because the high-pressure systems haven't worked their way down into the Great Basin as much. But uh, they, as I mentioned, the next couple of days are going to have what they call the Diablo winds in the, uh, in the northern part of the state. And the, the mechanisms for those winds are very similar to what you talked about, the Chinooks. Okay. Well, I, I try to prepare for you for your visit. And, and today one of the things I saw was that Las Vegas has not had a drop of water in like six months. And uh, Phoenix right. is about, about as bad off. And, and so... Uh, they're, they're right in the middle of that drought that I talked about uh, that's going to yeah. continue to grip the southwest. And uh, so... I'm sure we're going to be hearing more about that in the next few months as uh, that continues or is expected to continue with the weather pattern of La Nina across the United States. Well, I, I noticed that uh, the uh, NOAA put out their report uh, today, and, it, and, and I, I imagine that what you said about the northern half, uh, well, the southern half of the United States is going to have maybe warmer weather and... and uh, maybe uh, about the same amount of precip that uh, above that in the Great Plains and across to the Rockies and, and even into New England, it was going to be a little bit, that would be the cooler part of the country. Right. Well, the, the NOAA forecast actually keeps New England uh, a little bit on the warm side, sort of uh, like what we're expecting here. Okay. But uh, as soon as you move westward, uh, west of the Appalachians, you, you start getting into uh, a cooler than normal condition. Well, one of the things that I seem to have learned from you and the other weather guys is that there is a, a kind of a, a completely, not a completely different, but a kind of a different weather situation east of the Appalachians. It's like, you know, you've talked to me and to us about how the cool air funnels down from the northeast past D.C. and it comes down east of the east of the Appalachians. And that's a lot of times right. where our cold fronts come from rather than the west. The ones in the west follow the... the well, it does... It does cause uh, it does cause a weather regime which is rather unique uh, for the Piedmont area of North Carolina, uh, stretching from well everywhere from from the uh, northern Virginia all the way down into upstate South Carolina. But in North Carolina, most noticeable in the Piedmont, and that's when you have a high pressure area uh, having kind of become stationary in New England or up to the northeast that has funneled the air down into this region, and, and the air is dense enough such that it does not want to climb back up the Appalachians and go to the other side. It just, it just hangs tough here in the Piedmont. And we saw actually a demonstration of that, a, a, a natural demonstration of that this past weekend when we had all the fog around in the early morning hours and the rain and the drizzle. Uh, it just, uh, that was, what was responsible for that was that you had high pressure to the north that kind of cut itself off and just left the air mass right there over the Piedmont, and it just was very moist. And, uh, and you know, I think you might have seen the fog early in the morning on several of those days, and, and I, I believe that the weather forecast that came out were expecting temperatures to get up uh, to around 80 degrees, and I think they held at least 10 degrees short of that. So... It's a very hard forecasting challenge sometimes, even for the models this to, during this day and age, to, to see the unique air mass that can accumulate over the Piedmont of North Carolina. 
Maybe that's why the, the, I, I've heard in the past that the folks like you who worked at, say, the RDU uh, production, uh, you know, uh, what am I trying to say, Weather Center or at, at Greensboro Airports, whatever, whoever's doing the forecasting, that it was always a kind of a challenge to, to do the weather forecast. And sometimes if you didn't like it, if you waited a couple hours, it would be different. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Rod Garski, we, we need to take a break. Can you hold that thought? Okay. Okay. And we'll have okay. the last quarter of the program following this on WPTF. The number of baseball stars, Hall of Famers who passed away, Whitey Ford, Bob Gibson, and Lou Brock, and people like that uh, one night next week. So we hope you'll join us for that. And in fact, join us any night that you can. We're on from 9 to 10, and we're live and in real time, as when we are talking to Rod Gonski. Rod, in fact, was our... Uh, representative from the, from Noah. That's how we learned about him. And when he he retired from Noah, we said, would you keep coming and talking to us about the weather? And he <laughs> said, yes, and he still does. And I always enjoy it when he comes. Rod, we're to well, the point Tom, now. Uh, thank, thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure. Well, we're to the point now where uh, it sounds like you did some homework today. Plus, in your job, you're constantly reevaluating what's going on in terms of the weather. That's the nice thing. You Somebody might say, well, he's retired from Noah, yeah, but he has not kept taking his eye off the ball. He's still involved in meteorology and probably on a wider scale than he was before. But uh, uh, is it, where, where do we need to go? Is there a topic that you wanted to talk about? Do you want to go back? Go, well, go back? You know, I just want to – I was just going to continue a little bit on that uh, Piedmont air mass uh, okay, that I talked about earlier because as we get into wintertime, uh, a lot of times that Piedmont air mass is near freezing or below freezing. And so it can really make it difficult uh, as we get into the winter months now uh, where in a very short uh, area you may have a transition from rain to, to freezing rain to sleet and snow altogether. And, and uh, as we do get into winter, more commonly our winter storms are comprised of all those different types of precipitation. And a lot of that is due to the fact that we do have that air mass, which is trapped east of the Appalachians over the Piedmont of North Carolina. And uh, one thing I, I do want to mention is that uh, we're only about, uh, we're less than a month away from the 20th anniversary of our earliest snowfall uh, that occurred in central North Carolina. There was one to three inches of snow that occurred from upstate South Carolina across Charlotte and all the way up to the Triangle area here on the uh, on the 19th or 18th, excuse me, eight, yeah, the 19th of, uh, of, uh, of November of 2000. So, uh, so, you know, we can get a shot of cold air, and, and if things are just right with a, with a system coming up along the coast, uh, you know, it's possible to get snow uh, here in central North Carolina as early as mid-November. Did you say 2000? Yes, yes. Uh, that, uh, the year 2000. Those of us with memories can rewind the year 2000 back to January, and that's the year that we got 20, 20 or 21 inches in 24 hours. Uh, uh, kind of a surprise, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember that night because I kept getting up about every hour looking out the window, and I said, to be sure it's going to stop sometime. <laughs> that. Tom, that was a that was a tough year. Let me tell you. Yes, we had January twenty fifth of two thousand. We had about a foot and a half of snow here in the Triangle area that actually went 
mostly unpredicted because the storm wrapped up so fast along the coast, and there were thunderstorms that occurred down to our south, which added energy that was not taken into account by the models, and it just dumped sleet and snow, mostly snow here in, in, in uh, the Triangle area. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, about a foot and a half uh, generally across the area, and that was the 25th of January of 2000. And then later that year, again, we had this one to three inches in, in November, and as I recall, in December of 2000, there was a prediction of a, a foot or more of snow here, and they canceled the Raleigh Road Race, which I think was supposed to be the first Saturday of December, and there was not a flake that occurred here. <laughs> well, well you, 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 you certainly can't count on it. That, that's the no. Sure. And, and again, it, it has to do with the with the tremendous amounts of energy that are associated with things like the, the Gulf Stream, that river of warm water just off our coastline, and then the tremendous cold that can occur in the middle of the state, trapped east of the mountains, and you can get weather systems that will defy prediction at times. And, uh, you know, either, even though our models are, are really much better than they used to be incorporating satellite and, and instrumentation of all sorts that, you know, 20, 30 years ago, we couldn't imagine. They can still, as as demonstrated, I think, this past weekend, they can still defy prediction, and uh, uh, they can still err, and we'll have to keep our wits about us as to what's happening and not always rely on the exact phrases of what's happening out there. It's good to uh, keep in touch with the weather. Well, what you just described is what we had, I think, more or less, I, I, I think you tell me I'm wrong, but it, I give it the wrong name, but what I call the winter hurricane, which is like 1994 or something, when when uh, you had snow in the eastern part of the state, a lot of cold in the middle part of the state, and then a lot of snow in the mountains. That's when a lot of Boy Scout you know, campers got caught. And and, uh, um, and the ACC tournament in Charlotte had a blackout. Had a blackout, right. We, we were broadcasting the game, and then... The guy calls uh, from the station, calls me, and says, "What must I do? They don't have a game anymore because the lights went out." Uh, but anyway, we need yeah. to we need we need to stop here if we can, Rod. Oh, okay, all right, I'll let you stop. Okay, well, no, this just means you'll have to come back, and we will invite all you. Right. I hope I've enjoyed your being here tonight. And I'm sure our listeners have finding out about the anniversary of uh, Hurricane, Hurricane Hazel. Hazel. And the weather, weather prospects for the future, and uh, take care of yourself, and we'll be talking to you again before too long, okay? Okay, Tom, thank you. Rod Gonski, meteorologist, formerly of the NOAA's National Weather Service, and now uh, working in uh, as a meteorologist in private industry, has been our guest tonight. We are going to remind you that tomorrow night is Friday night, so it'll be Friday night trivia night, and I think probably we're going to have another music night next week. I'm looking forward. I, I hope we can have a night where we, a couple of Friday nights where we devote to horror movies and things that would uh, draw some attention to uh, Halloween because that's coming up. Uh, tomorrow night we'll talk to you a little bit after 9.